Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. This year we did do something new at our house. Levi, throw up that next slide. This year, we went full in on the Hallmark movies. We did Hallmark movie bingo. That's right. That's right. So we, I made up a little sheet. I watched them with my parents and with my brother and my sister and my nieces. And we would sit there and we'd all fill it out. And so it was like all these things like, ooh, they went walking in the snow. Check. Oh, giant nutcracker. I am absolutely convinced that there is one guy on the Hallmark staff that it is his only job to walk around the giant nutcrackers from movie set to movie set to movie set. Because you watch them, it's the same one in every single movie, but it's in every single movie. So, like, it's all these things. And then my dad gets the brilliant idea. He's like, Bethany, we need to have the free space. And we needed to mark what the free space was. What is the free space in a Hallmark movie? It's the breakup in the middle. It's like, oh, yeah, like, things are going along good. Oh, wait, stop, stop, stop. Just a second. Just a second. There is something, and they got to break up. It's, it's something. It's always something. Like, it could be, like, I really hate peanut butter, and they're going to get in a big fight over it, and that's how they're going to break up over it. Or her boyfriend comes back from Wisconsin, and they got to break up because she, even though she doesn't really love him, she really wants to get back together with him. It's like that over and over and over again. So, as a girl who really likes Hallmark movies and really likes love stories, a couple of years ago, I set out to really study the Book of Ruth. And that's why I'm up here. Because a couple of months ago, I got an email from Pastor Chris saying, I I do a lot of the churches like Facebook, so he's like, just a heads up, what's coming up? And it was like, Ruth, one, two, three, four. And I like immediately texted him. I was like, Pastor Chris, I want to do Ruth chapter three. Because as I was studying, as I was digging, as I was looking, there are some things in Ruth chapter three that are so amazing that if we just like read over them, we read over them and it's, it's like, oh, it's a nice little love story. It's a little Hallmark movie and it's light and fluffy, but there's so much more in there. And I'm so excited to be able to share with you guys some of those things that I found. So if you all would just bow your head with me, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, right now, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and cares about us, that you are the God who, um, who loves us even more than we love Hallmark movies. I pray that you will just be with us today, that you will just guide my words, that they won't be my words that people hear, but it will be your Holy Spirit that they hear. I pray right now for Chris and Dave as they're in Chicago, that you will just bless them as they are launching this church, that you will guide and direct them, and that your Spirit will be there. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay? So when I say, like, I went about studying the book of Ruth, I don't mean that I just read it four times. I'm a little bit geeky. Okay, I'm a lot geeky. So I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, like, dig through this, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to read. And then pretty soon it's like, okay, all right, I've read it four times. Now what I need to do? Oh, I'm going to get me a commentary. So I went and I bought a commentary and you go to the internet and there's all kinds of wonderful, wonderful things that you can find on the internet. 
So we're going to start here in Ruth chapter 3, but first we need to tell you a little bit about what's going on in the story so that everybody's caught up and everybody's on the same page. So here's the thing. Um, the first thing you need to know about the book of Ruth is it's a chiasm. So Levi's going to throw it up on, on, the, on the screen. So what a chiasm is, is every verse or chapter has a parallel in it. So in the beginning, like Ruth is, or Naomi is too old to conceive. By the end of it, she, like Naomi has received a son. It's in, it's in quotes, it's her son. Like they called Ruth and Boaz's son, her son. It was really her grandson. And it's all of these parallels as we're walking through the book. So there's things that you'll see, and I'm going to talk about a few of them as we go through, how God, the, and then the structure of this story is really interesting because there's all these parallels. And there is the breaking point of the story, and that's kind of where we're picking up, is right at verse 1 of chapter 3. But first we need to know a little bit about Ruth. Chris has spent the last two weeks talking about the book of Ruth. The first week he talked to kind of from the perspective of Naomi. Then he talked a little bit from the perspective of Boaz last week and how Boaz was a good and strong man. But I'm going to talk to you from the girl point of view, so I'm going to talk to you from Ruth's point of view. So here's what we need to know about Ruth. She was a Moabite. She, in Chris's words, she was a hottie. Uh, I don't know, I don't know. She was probably pretty attractive. She was widowed. So here she was. She was in the middle of her life. She thought her life was going great. I'm sure she was like, I married this guy. Life is going to be good. We're going to settle down. We're going to farm. We're going to do whatever it is that we're going to do. And then all of a sudden, that stops. And her husband gets sick, and he dies. And she is probably a little overwhelmed. So she's a widow, and that's rough. The next thing is she's childless. In that culture, that's huge. It was your job as a woman to bear children. That was your um, goal in life, to have as many kids as you could. And so here she was. Not only was she widowed, she didn't have any children to pass along that family name to. And she was probably looked down upon, probably by a lot of the other people in the villages because she didn't have any children. Like, oh, look at Ruth. She don't got no children. You know, all those things are really rough for her. She really, really cared for her mother-in-law. As Chris said two weeks ago, she walked that 50 miles through the desert. She went with her. She went to a place that she'd never, ever been before. But she chose, because she cared so much for her mother-in-law, to take that journey, to go to live as a stranger in a strange land. And it was really hard. She was extremely poor. Uh... If you're going through and you're picking up the sheaves that the, um, the the threshers had like left on the ground, you were like poor and destitute. But the thing is, she was a hard, hard worker. She worked her fingers to the bone. She crawled along the grass. She tried to bring as much income as she could. And those, you know, she just really was passionate about making sure that her family was well cared for, was fed, even though it was really overwhelming for her. So, chapter 3 starts starts the change in the book of Ruth. So, here she was. She was empty. She was, She had an empty heart. She was a widow. 
She had an empty womb. She was childless. She didn't have anyone to pass on her legacy to. And she had an empty wallet. So here she was, probably overwhelmed, didn't know what she was going to do. And she just kind of throws her hands up and says, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And I'm going to be okay with that. So Ruth chapter 3, starting at verse 1 says, One day, Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter... I must find a home for you while you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, whose women you have been worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley in the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor and don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. So this is kind of suggestive. Like, if you read some commentaries, there is a lot of suggestiveness in this book. It was interesting. There's a lot of interesting things going on here. So, one thing that we need to know is, she talks about, Naomi says, he's a close relative, he's a kinsman redeemer. So we need to go back and we need to figure out what exactly is a kinsman redeemer. All right, I'm going to tell you. They had three responsibilities in the Jewish culture. The first thing that they needed to do is they had the responsibility to redeem property that was lost. So if a family got into themselves into financial hardship, that kinsman redeemer came and they bought that property for that family and they give it back to that family. The second thing that they had the responsibility to do was to produce an heir. This is called Leverite marriage, and it's generally the brother of um, someone. So if your husband had died, your brother-in-law would marry you, and he would carry on the name of his brother, and they would have an heir. And that first child would be their heir, would be the heir of the first husband, not the heir of the second husband. So it was all about passing on that family, that legacy, And then the third responsibility was they had a responsibility to avenge and they had a responsibility for justice. So if you had a friend who was killed, it was their kinsman's redeemer's responsibility to go hunt down the person who had killed them and to create vengeance to kill that person. So that was the kinsman redeemer's job. And so... Naomi goes, she says, look, we have this kinsman redeemer. You're already in his field. You've already met him. There's already, like you look in the book, there's some sparks flying. Boaz is like, oh yeah, who is that hot woman over there, guys? You know, so there was already some sparks flying. There's already some things going on. And so Naomi saw this and she was like, okay, like let's pounce on this opportunity. He's our kinsman redeemer. Let's do it. Go over there and take a risk and see if he'll marry you. Because it was the custom that that's kind of how you would propose marriages. You would go, you'd lay at a guy's feet, and he'd say, "Mm, okay, sure, I'll marry you. Or, no, I don't know. So, (laughs) there's all kinds of things happening here. So, Boaz knew when she did this that she was basically proposing to him. So... Ruth 3, 9 says, okay, so she goes back and she does this. She goes, she takes a bath, she cleans up, she gets all the sweat off her, 
you know, back in this culture, they probably didn't bathe very often. So, like, it was like a blessing for him that she went out and she took a bath. So she did that. She goes and lays at his feet. And Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night. And he is like, who is at my feet? And this is what she responds. She says, I am your servant, Ruth. She said, spread the covering of your garment over me since you are the kinsman redeemer of our family. So this Hebrew word, kanap, when she says, take, take and cover me, spread your garment over me. She is throwing some words back at him. Because we remember how we talked about this is a chiasm and there's all these parallel and these things, verses that go back and forth and they fight each other. This is one of them. Because back in chapter 2, Boaz says to Ruth, he prays over her and he says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you richly be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come for refuge. But you see... The word that they use in both of these verses is the same thing. It's the Hebrew word kanap. And a kanap is, it's like under the wing of your, like, God's protection. And this is what it is. It's this big garment that goes, you know, from top to bottom. And doesn't, don't these almost look like wings by the time he's got it going on? So she says, cover me with your kanap. And what she is saying is, you told me that God was, who has these great wings of provision is going to provide for me. She's throwing it back in his face and saying, now you need to prove that God is doing this because you're going to do it. She, she is a lady who has some, she's got some balls. Uh, it's probably not appropriate to say it, but she's, she has got some stuff going on. She has some boldness in her and she like wants to be protected and she wants to be cared for and she says you said it was going to happen now make it happen so she knew that God was going to protect her and she went to him and she said I've got the plan you are going to be my protector you're going to be the one who's going to care for me and take care of me And her boldness paid off big time. So the next section of scripture goes on. It says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. Boaz replied, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run off for a younger man, whether rich or poor. Really what that is saying is he's saying, you could have chosen any of those guys all around town, whoever you wanted, but you chose me. And the thing is, Chris will talk about this next week, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler. Boaz wanted to marry her, but there was someone who was standing in the way to, to, who had the right, who was a little bit closer relationship to Naomi, and he could have gotten in the way. But Boaz said, I know that you're not coming for me, just because you think that I'm wealthy. That wasn't it. This other guy, he had more money, he, or you know, pop, probably had more money. He had lots of other options. This wasn't a last-ditch effort for Ruth. She 
like, she had to have cared for him. And, like, as a girl, like, I see that and I'm like, oh, I want, I want a guy who's, like, going to be, like, coming after my heart. So, well, she keeps going from there. So, if this were a Hallmark movie, this, this is the bonus space. This is the breakup scene. This is where things get a little dicey. And she's like, I don't, I don't know what's going to go on, but it's going to be all good. So she lays there. He says, I'll take care of it. There's another guy, but I'm going to take care of it. I'll go in the morning. I will go to the city gate. We'll work it out. Because obviously he had passion for her just as much as she had passion for him. And they wanted this marriage not just because he was the redeemer, but because they had affection for each other. So, in this next part, this is the part where I really, when I was studying, I really, I didn't get confused, but it took me a minute to figure out what was going on. So, verse 15 said, He also said, Bring me your shawl you are wearing and hold it. When she did, he poured six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, um, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told everything that Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me six measures of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until this matter is settled. So, does anybody catch something a little strange in this passage? Maybe it's just because I'm curious. But there was a phrase that jumped out to me. It was repeated twice. So usually if there's repetition, that means that we should be looking for it. It's talking about this six measures of barley. And I was like, what the earth? Six measures of barley. So I'm, like, thinking from my, like, perspective, like, okay, like, is that enough food for them to, like, get by for a certain amount of time? Like, what is going on here? So I started digging a little deeper and a little deeper, and I got out my, you know, Bible dictionaries, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. And finally, in one of the commentaries, I found the answer. So here's the deal. Ruth was probably feeling really insecure at this point. She was probably thinking, like, is this enough food for the winter? Was it about security? What was going on? But Boaz knew what he was doing. You see, seven is the number of God. Talks about in creation, in the creation story, God created for six days. On the seventh, he rested. The human face there are set there are seven openings so it's all about like the symbolism of what's going on and how god is so perfect so how does this relate it's six six bushels of barley right boaz knew what he was talking about because he is saying here you take these six bushels six like measures of barley stick it in your shawl i was going to bring barley and i forgot but if you have six measures of barley, it's going to be quite a sum. And she would have to carry it. And how would she carry it? I don't know about you. It was, they say it was probably about 50 pounds. She's going to walk around town walking like this. She's going to be carrying this 
And what is it symbolizing? It's symbolizing how Boaz wanted to give her that seventh measure of seed and get her pregnant. He was saying in a very, very subtle way that he wanted God to provide for them beyond just her physical needs. You see, all throughout this book, there's all kinds of foreshadowing about things that are going on. Ruth is sitting there. She doesn't know what he means when he gives her six bushels of barley. She doesn't know that his plan is to, I mean, she knew that his plan was to go and to go to the city, but she didn't know that he was so passionate about it that he was symbolizing that she was going to be carrying his child in the months that came. In life, there are these little things. I like to call them mile markers. And sometimes they're really, really vague. They're not big those big mountaintop experiences, but there are those moments in our lives we can, when we can look back and we can see God moved things and we didn't even realize it until we are looking back. She did not even realize until probably later on, maybe five years down the road, that God and Boaz had set that thing up for her to be carrying that big bag of seed home and it was all that it was symbolizing. Because the thing is, this whole book of Ruth, it's not just foreshadowing in the Ruth story. It's foreshadowing in our story too. See, because we are so blessed because we have a God who redeems us. So let's think about this. The things that the, the Redeemer was supposed to do. He was supposed to redeem the land. God is here to redeem our lives, right? The Redeemer back then, they were supposed to redeem their legacy. What does God redeem for us? He redeems our eternal heritage, our eternal heirs, as we become heirs of Christ. And he, just like those Redeemers back in the day, he brings us justice and he brings, well vengeance sometimes. So Ruth, she walked away not knowing what was going to happen. She had no idea that there, that she had just come around the edge of that story and things all of a sudden, not that they were perfectly going to get better, but they were on the mend. She knew that she had enough grain for that moment But the thing is, is Boaz, he had long-term plans. And that's just like God does for us. He has those long-term plans ready for us. Boaz, he had a plan in heart. He knew what he wanted to do, and he was going to do it. He was going to redeem her. He was going to give her children. They'd have a life together. He wasn't just going to take ownership of the land He wasn't just going to give them uh, uh, air for, you know, a Limelech and a Chilion and the other son. Um, He knew that he wanted to give Ruth an heir of her choosing. And the thing that I found so interesting in here was this. Boaz didn't 
have to redeem her. That, that it wasn't required of the law. He could have said, mm, nope, there's somebody who's closer. They can go and do this. He could have chosen not to. It would have maybe like, people would have maybe like side-eyed him a little bit and said, oh, look, Boaz, he could have helped Naomi and Ruth out, but he didn't. He chose. And that's just like Jesus. He chose to come to redeem us. It's what God, he does all of those things for us. He gives us hints of those promises, those little mile markers in life that sometimes it's hard to see. It's going to be a whole lot easier when we can turn back and we can say, oh, that was the moment that God started to restore things in my life. Or that is the moment when I started to heal. We're probably not going to look at them and see them when they're happening. Because that's how life goes. And it's frustrating and it's hard. And there are days when we are going through struggles and we are going through pain. And we're sitting here and we're saying, God, I don't understand. I am poor. I am widowless. I am widowed. I am childless. I don't have anything going for me. What am I supposed to do? And God reaches down into our situations and he says, know what? I've got this. And there are moments that we get to look back and we get to say, okay, God, I get it. Because we need to throw our trust on him because that's what he does. He cares for us deeply. Romans 8 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. This does not mean that everything is going to be perfect. Nope, I don't know about you. My life is not perfect. There are days that I am like, what on earth is happening? If you had asked me 10, 12 years ago when I graduated from college, where are you going to be by this stage in life? I can tell you it would not be where I am, but I am so grateful for where I am. There's going to be pain. There's going to be struggles. And he cares so much about what is happening. God sees those moments when we are weak and we are weary and we just want to crawl up in a ball and say, I don't understand what what is happening, but he is there for you. So, he's going to give us a blessing in the middle of the storm. He's going to set us up for a comeback because pretty soon in this story, Spoil alert, there's things that are going to happen. And God controls it all because he controls everything in our lives. We're going to look at a situation and we're going to think that God is just giving us enough for the meantime. He's just giving us those six measures of barley that are going to get us through the next couple of weeks. When really, God has so much more for us just around the corner. Just like Boaz is setting Ruth up for long-term success, that is what God wants to do for you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, right now, we just thank you that you are a God who loves us and has everything in your control. 
I pray that you will just speak to hearts today, that you, as we leave, that you will just guide us and that you will direct us, that you will help us know that you are working on our comeback. I pray that you will just guide and direct us this week, that we will just be encouraged and know that you love us, that you care about us, and you have the best for us. I pray that you would just be with us this week. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Go and have a wonderful week, and we will see you next week. And thanks for coming out in the cold. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.